Inside Florida Politics, powered by Gannett. Governor Ron DeSantis downplays COVID concerns as cases and hospitalizations reach record levels. Florida school districts rebel against the governor's prohibition on mask mandates. And text messages reveal details about a high-profile ghost candidate investigation. Hello, I'm Sarasota Herald Tribune political editor Zach Anderson. And those are some of the stories I'll be discussing today with Gannett State Capitol reporter John Kennedy and Daytona Beach News Journal editor Mark Harper. But first... music means it's time for some numbers. John, did you uh, come up with a number for us today? I sure did, Zach. I'm here with a 54 for this week. All right. How about you, Mark? Uh, I'll go with 25. And I'm going to go low with a 10. Remember those numbers, folks. We'll tell you what they mean in Florida politics at the end of the show. Well, Florida's latest wave of COVID-19 cases has been raising alarms. The state's Hospitalizations has been reaching new highs every day this week. The Advent Health Hospital System in Central Florida announced that it was so overloaded with COVID patients that it was moving to black status and postponing some elective surgeries. This all comes as schools are about to reopen and there's concern about COVID spreading in the classroom. But DeSantis shrugged off these COVID concerns this week, saying Florida's hospital system overall still has capacity and arguing the situation is not as dire as some are making it out to be. John DeSantis seems to be whistling past the graveyard here a little bit. Uh, He's arguing that the vast majority of seniors are vaccinated so that most vulnerable people are protected. But it's not just seniors at risk, right? No, uh, the, the state's been averaging about 18,000 new cases for the past week and is uh, widely seen as one of the nation's real epicenters for the virus. Uh, Florida and Texas accounted for one third of the nation's new COVID cases this week. Um, still, you know, the governor has been uh, diminishing the numbers. He's, uh, he's saying that he's not concerned about the caseload, you know, even though it sounds like it's skyrocketing. Uh, he, he says it's the emergency room visits that matter most because that's a sign of people sickest from COVID. But uh, those numbers aren't good either, as the uh, state just broke a a record for most people hospitalized, and that 10,000-plus hospitalized figure uh, went back to July 2020, uh, as far as breaking the record. Uh, That that, that was more than half a year before vaccinations were available. Uh, You know, one thing you have to remember, this seems to be kind of lost on the governor, that while state records show that, yes, 85 percent of Floridians over age 65 have been vaccinated, there are 1.6 million children under age 12 who can't be vaccinated. So they're out there potentially attracting some level of the virus when they return to school and maybe bring it home. And uh, they're about to, you know, they're, they're around the state right now, they're just about to go back mixing and mingling at schools. And uh, we'll talk more about that in a little while here. But, uh, uh, you know, uh, when you look at the numbers among Floridians under age 40, there is no subgroup of the population that has been vaccinated at levels topping 50%. So the virus is out there and uh, it has a lot of people to move around among. Mark, uh, you know, can you tell us a little bit about what's going on in your uh, neck of the woods, uh, what the COVID situation is over there and how political leaders are reacting? Well, in uh, Daytona Beach, our biggest uh, uh, hospital is uh, Halifax Health Medical Center. Uh, Public Hospital, which uh, has reached a, a peak of uh, 147 new COVID patients earlier this week, in one day, the, earlier this week. Is, is that a record for the hospital? Do you know? Uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, 
I'm not sure if it's a record overall, but the hospitals here have been reporting record levels uh, in general. So um, we're not doing great here. And, uh, you know, we had a reported uh, an interview with a nurse this morning uh, from, from Halifax that, you know, she had uh, been to New York in, you know, in 2020 uh, for six weeks doing a, you know, sort of a stint at a hospital there helping out. And she said that this mirrors that situation. So uh, we've had a, a, a recently we had a county council chair uh, raise a concern about he wanted to pass a bill of rights sanctuary basically you know declaring that volusia county would uh reaffirm its uh its bill of right you know the bill of rights and you know sort of make a statement against uh federal government overreach on things like uh door-to-door vaccines and, and taking your guns. And in any event, that failed. So anyway, the, the, that's what they've been de- debating in, in county council here in Volusia County. So not really uh, any not really any appetite for um, new uh, mitigation measures, things like, you know, mass mandates or anything like that, really more a, a backlash even to, to some of that stuff. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, that's not what they were talking about, um, but you know the the county chair's proposal did get shot down by the other council members, and uh, you know it, it all kind of came to a head when uh, a woman from the public stood up and spoke and talked about her how her husband had just recently died from COVID, and uh, she just, she just basically said, you know, you guys need to be putting your energy toward. Uh, promoting, you know, people getting vaccines and, and doing all you can to, to prevent the spread of this. Wow. Uh, sounds like uh, uh, an emotional debate, uh, just like it is uh, all across the state and all across uh, the country um, right now. And, and uh, you know, it, it's something that, uh, you know, Florida really is uh, one of the national epicenters and is in the, the, the spotlight here. And uh, it looks like, um, you know, the, the situation isn't really abating at this point. That DeSantis said during a press conference this week that that he thought it, it looked to him like the emergency room um, visits for COVID-like um, uh, symptoms is starting to level off. And he was kind of implying that he's maybe we're getting close to uh, the peak here, but overall COVID hospitalizations have continued to set records and it's it's not clear at all that um, you know, we, we've reached uh, a peak here. So um, it's a, a pretty um, a significant concern uh, for a lot of people around uh, the state right now. And uh, another big reason for that is, is that schools are starting soon and that could have uh, an impact on, on this uh, wave of cases. The school issue is, is something that is maybe the, the, the hottest issue regarding COVID uh, in the state right now. School um, officials are, are feeling pressure to defy the governor's uh, executive order last week uh, trying to uh, limit mass mandates in schools. Districts in Duval and uh, Alachua County uh, have taken uh, steps to circumvent the order, and Leon and Broward County districts also appear uh, to be weighing a similar move. DeSantis's order threatens to revoke state funding from school different districts if they don't fall in line uh, on mass. John, it seems like this sort of brewing rebellion could 
present a test for the governor, both legally and politically, as to whether he wants to push the issue and start forcing uh, budget cuts in these districts. It does. And uh, we're hearing this morning, uh, as we're recording this, that now there is a uh, a new policy that is expected to be adopted uh, Friday of this week by the Department of Education that may even further back away from this uh, strict uh, mask mandate that the governor has proposed. It may uh, allow districts uh, to uh, indeed enforce a mask mandate, but give parents the option to uh, withdraw their parent, their students from school and uh, send them to other schools where they don't have to wear masks. We're kind of we're kind of um, looking into this right now. Uh, uh, it's breaking news, but if it if it is what we're hearing, it might be kind of a retreat from the governor's hardline position that there's no mass mandates, and it might be kind of um, a middle ground here that that basically lets parents go to different schools with uh, state funding. Yeah, and it 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 may be that the governor's hand is being forced here because it it, it brings to light that. Uh, Already, we have seen districts are testing the fact that the state is no longer under a state of emergency for COVID-19. That expired at the end of June, and DeSantis has not reinstated it. And uh, the districts look like they're going to push the point that it was the state of emergency that gave DeSantis the kind of power that he is now seeking over schools. Without the emergency, uh, a lawyer for the state's biggest uh, teachers union tells me that the uh, the power for the mask decision rests with school boards, you know, not mm. with the governor. Uh, our Article 9, Section 4 of the Florida Constitution says that school boards shall operate, control, and supervise all free public schools within the school district. So, um, you know, they are coming around to believe that the governor's executive order is powerless, uh, we we may see this uh, go to court, at least, uh, you know, un- unless the governor does a, a, a real withdrawal here tomorrow with this uh, Department of Education order. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he won last year in a fight with the teachers union over the reopening of brick and mortar schools, largely uh, hinged on the public health emergency that he declared that, of course, is no longer in place. Um, there are already lawyers in the Tampa area that were looking at the possibility of a lawsuit challenging the governor's no mask mandate. And uh, I'm told that a parents group in Brevard County was uh, also considering a challenge. So, uh, you know, at, at, go, going into this morning, I, I think there's a good chance that, uh, you know, an appearance in court will precede any attempt by the governor to uh, withhold state funds, which, uh, you know, that was the, the threat that he held over them if they uh, didn't pose mask mandates, um, that he was going to keep state money away from the districts that did it. And of course, for counties, that's a lot of money, maybe, you know, 50% of a school's budget in many counties. But, um, you know, the the question is still out there, you know, how far does the governor want to push this, uh, you know, legally and politically by going to war with parents and school districts that, you know, just want to want to have their kids wear a mask when they go back to school. Yeah. So it, we'll see here, but it's, it- it seems like maybe the governor was was bluffing a little bit. Uh, and if he isn't able to really enforce this prohibition on mass mandates because the state uh, doesn't have an emergency order, what does that say, John? I mean, DeSantis has been reluctant to uh, go back into a state of emergency there, possibly uh, because he doesn't want to project uh, that, that. I mean, he's trying to project that things are turning 
kind of going back to normal, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's all optics and uh, th th those are really big with the governor. Uh, and I think the idea that the state was out from under any kind of, a, you know, emergency situation with COVID, he was resisting remarkably. He was resisting calls to reinstate the emergency uh, order uh, from a lot of uh, people now that are relying on the 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 lack of an emergency order in fighting this mask mandate idea. You had a lot of uh, Democrats and a lot of uh, you, you know uh, their allies, a lot of groups that were that are allied with the Florida Democratic Party and its members, uh, really putting pressure on the governor as the COVID numbers rose to reinstate an emergency order. Now, DeSantis uh, clearly doesn't want to do that, even though now not having an emergency order may undermine his ability to, uh, you know, stick this mask uh, uh, refusal across uh, the school districts in the state. He may have to uh, may have to live with that after all. Yeah. So the governor's own position on whether or not we're in an emergency could um, could uh, hamstring him here. It really just shows you how, you know, politically divided this has been and how DeSantis has been really, uh, you know, pressing the, uh, the the division you know i mean he's been been every day it seems like some level of uh diminishing what many people see as a serious uh spread of the delta variant uh, especially in this state the state is getting you know global attention right now and desantis seems to be holding news conferences around the state that basically say you know there's nothing to see here like we got this under control that's a seasonal spread of the virus which you know th there are elements of truth in all of that but um i think he is sending a message out to uh a constitu his constituency that is not really encouraging vaccinations, social distancing, masking, any of that. So, uh, you know, is that a good public health policy coming out of the uh, state's executive office? Yeah, and, and it's certainly with the the cases, uh, the where where they are right now, setting new records every day, hospitalizations setting new records uh, every day. It's it's a very um, you know, a, a divided um, message that we're having right now where, you know, you have, um, you know, basically uh, the governor playing all that down and others re really concerned uh, that, you know, that, that there are some basic precautions that they would like to, to do. And I, I've read about elsewhere uh, in the country where schools have uh, reopened and, and they have had some significant COVID issues and, and uh, had, uh, you know, to to take some steps, uh, you know, where, where kids were out, where schools uh, had to shut down again. Um, so uh, there's a lot of concern around school reopening right now. Well, last week on the podcast, we talked about a, a fascinating uh, criminal case involving allegations that a GOP consultant paid a third party candidate to run for a state Senate seat in Miami to siphon off votes from the Democrats. Mark, you've been doing some reporting on this case and the potential fallout uh, in other races. What have you found? Yeah, um, well, you know, it's um, worth, uh, you know, just basically covering the basics on that uh, case involving former state Senator Frank Artiles. Yeah, bring yeah. us up to speed because I don't think a lot of people are, are are all that familiar with it, but it is an important case. And, um, 
that's playing out right now. Uh, yeah, he's he's uh, charged with some felony crimes uh, because he had, you know, basically recruited a third party candidate or I mean, a, a, an independent candidate to run against the incumbent Democrat, Jose Javier Rodriguez in, in uh, Senate District 37 in Miami-Dade. And Rodriguez was a Democrat. You know, Artiles is a, a Republican. And so Artiles's goal was to get uh, the Republican in that race, Ileana Garcia, elected by recruiting a third-party candidate, or, or a, a, I, should, I should say an independent candidate. And so he recruited a guy named uh, Alex Rodriguez, the same last name as as the senator. And it's not illegal to, to you know, talk somebody into running, but he was uh, actually paying Rodriguez uh, like $44,000, uh, you know, to get him to run, which is illegal. So uh, he's alleged to have done this. Uh, and so he's going to trial and all these court documents are coming out, sh- you know, sort of showing this, uh, how, how this thing works. Basically what happened is some dark money came in at the kind of the last minute of the race, uh, helping, uh, send out flyers to voters saying, vote for Alex Rodriguez. He's, uh, you know, uh, and sort of putting him into the position where he, he was seen as a kind of a left-leaning independent candidate. And so uh, Alex Rodriguez ended up getting about 6,000 votes uh, in a race that came down to uh, Garcia winning by 32 votes. It was pretty clear that that third candidate, uh, you know, shook up the election there. In any event, uh, the same scenario kind of played out, uh, very similar circumstances in two other Senate races. Artiles' fingerprints are, are on, you know, certain parts of uh, those cases, and as are a, uh, a, a Tallahassee operative named uh, Alex Alvarado. So some interesting uh, documents surfaced from the, the investigation uh, showing how Alvarado was uh, recruiting uh, these these young women in their 20s to uh, sort of, you know, put their names on the uh, the chairperson, treasurer, and registered agent positions of these political committees that were part of the machinery to get the dark money to help Alex Rodriguez. And also the other uh, two other races, uh, one of which is uh, the Senator Jason Broder's seat. These these text messages were were interesting between Alvarado and these these twenty somethings. You know, they sort of showed how you know initially everybody every, everything seemed kind of innocent, and they they sort of went down the path of uh, people are finding out about this. The investigators are at my door. You know, uh, I'm freaking out. So so they <laughs> and, they started getting nervous about their role in this scheme and and whether they face some legal jeopardy right yeah yeah absolutely and uh, they were you know they ultimately were subpoenaed and uh, called in to, to testify and uh, you know Alvarado the whole time was kind of saying no problem don't worry about it and here's Here's a few extra bucks for your troubles. But at this point, you know, the Seminole County state attorney has been feeling some political pressure to investigate uh, a little bit further into this uh, from from the Central Florida angle. Actually, the FDLE announced last week that they were going to uh, have some sort of discussion with the state attorney to review the uh, allegations. It's really fascinating to see the the inner working here and these texts messages between the political consultant and some of these people who were um, who were recruited to be involved in this stuff and to just see how 
um, you know, these these uh, races are uh, are manipulated by political uh, professionals, um, you know, to have that curtain peeled back. We don't get to see too often. So this this court case is really, um, you know, offering a lot of information that people don't get on on some of uh, the political maneuvering that happens here. And, and it, as we've said before, this could have really big implications. This is, uh, you know, this political consulting firm uh, that has been involved in in, in some of these races uh, is a, a top consulting firm for the uh, GOP uh, Republican majority in the Senate. And so, um, you know, there's this goes up to some of the, uh, you know, there, there is links here to to some of uh, some very powerful people uh, in the state. And so um, we'll be following this closely and uh, Mark has been doing some good reporting on it. Well, we'll move on to our our numbers here. John, you want to tell us about this? Zach, I came in here with a 54, and 54 is the number of ice cream flavors available at Ben & Jerry's, the most popular, of course, being the Cherry Garcia. But even though it's August in Florida and hot, Ben & Jerry's, while home to a lot of flavors, has, you know, are, are, are you ready for this? It has fallen out of favor with Governor Ron DeSantis and other uh, Republican leaders. Uh, Remember, Ben & Jerry's parent company is Unilever, and it was put this week on the state's list of scrutinized companies that boycott Israel. DeSantis is ordering the state's Board of Administration, which oversees the state's investments, to determine whether Florida should shun Unilever and uh, its host of companies uh, over Ben and Jerry's plan to stop selling ice cream in the Israeli-occupied West Bank, which is seen as Palestinian territory and uh, really is the root of much of the Israeli-Palestine uh, uh, conflict that has been going on for for so so long. Um, DeSantis uh, plays himself up as uh, you know the most pro-Israel governor in America, and this is uh, at least in part a clear play for a conservative Jewish voting base in this state and nation. And it also plays well with uh, evangelical Christians who also usually vote Republican. Uh, ben Cohen and Jerry Greenfield, who uh, famously started the ice cream company in a former gas station in Burlington, Vermont, well, they're Jewish and liberal Democratic supporters who support Palestinian rights. But that gives DeSantis the inspiration to give a cold shoulder to the ice cream makers. Uh, Said DeSantis, I will not stand idly by as woke corporate ideologues seek to boycott and divest from our ally Israel. So there's DeSantis uh, drawing a line uh, against Ben and Jerry's. Uh, DeSantis, you remember, uh, battled a couple of years ago with Airbnb over a similar stand. And uh, he he maybe played some role in getting the company to reverse its ban on hosting rentals in Israeli-occupied areas. But uh, whether he has any effect on Ben & Jerry's and uh, ice cream sales is still to be seen. Uh, Ben & Jerry's has done, you know, well with chubby hubby and dastardly mashed through the years, but something tells me you're not going to see a right wing Ron flavor for a while. <laughs> All right. Some good uh, ice cream politics here. Uh, uh, Mark, you want to tell us about your number? Uh, Heath Bar Crunch. Let me just throw that out there. Um, <laughs> actually, uh, I'm a still available, bit, still available in Daytona Beach. I'm a little bit uh, myopic as far as uh, my number goes today. Uh, 25 is the number of days until the Frank Artiles trial starts. Uh, 
And uh, it, it's not just him, but also Alex Rodriguez uh, will be a co-defendant. Uh, so I'm, uh, you know, counting down the days, I guess. Uh, it's an interesting number there. Yeah, it's definitely one to, to watch and uh, look forward to some more of your coverage on uh, that uh, really fascinating case. Well, my number is 10. That's the number, the tons of dead sea life that were removed from the beaches over here in Manatee County this week. Those fish were killed by red tide, which has continued to ravage coastal areas in the Tampa Bay region. I could actually smell the dead sea life from my office here in downtown Sarasota this week, and we're about a a mile away from the water, so it's a, a pretty unpleasant smell to smell that dead fish uh, wafting in the air uh, across uh, downtown uh, um, and uh, you know the the, the fouled waters uh, you know red tide can actually really uh, it has toxins in it and and you can kind of feel it in the back of your throat sometimes i didn't uh, actually get that here uh, this week but if you're if you're right on the beach by the water uh, it's definitely um, noticeable. So uh, not a very uh, pleasant situation. The red tide bloom is threatening the region's environment and its tourism economy. And, and it's really putting some pressure on elected officials to act. Governor Ron DeSantis and Agriculture uh, Commissioner Nikki Freed both traveled to Sarasota this week uh, to discuss the red tide issue. And Congressman Vern Buchanan held a roundtable discussion with scientists and uh, community leaders uh, on Monday at, at Mo- or at Selby Gardens here in Sarasota. Freed wants DeSantis to declare a state uh, of emergency uh, to help local governments deal with red tide and the cleanup, but the governor says the state is is already uh, doing helping with that cleanup and emergency order isn't uh, necessary. DeSantis was here uh, touring a red tide research facility operated by Moat Marine. Uh, the facility is testing technologies that are aimed at trying to eradicate uh, red tide altogether and Moat got about um, $18 million uh, from the state legislature and approved by DeSantis um, recently in the budget to do some of that research. So the governor wanted to to highlight uh, that effort and I think kind of uh, try and make the point that he has been uh, doing some things to try and um, to try and mitigate uh, red tide. But any solutions seem like a long way off at this point. A lot of this is experimental uh, technology um, and actually trying to scale it up and eradicate a red tide uh, at, a, at, a, at a large level, um, it seems like somewhat of a daunting task. Buchanan's roundtable included the deputy tech, uh, secretary for the Florida Department of Environmental Protection, who noted that the state is implementing new stormwater uh, runoff rules that could help limit nutrient pollution that feeds red tide. But those regulations only impact new development. Nobody's talking about tougher regulations on existing polluters. Meanwhile, the dead sea life keeps washing ashore. That wraps up another episode of Inside Florida Politics. I want to thank our audio guru, Thomas Cordy, and thanks to all of you for listening. Stay safe. We're out of here.